today we are starting a new series uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks. We're going to be going through a handful of psalms. Um, psalms are a, a fantastic place where we can go and see reflections and uh, prayers to God, a place that we can go and see from the whole range of human emotion uh, ways that we can find words to, to put to, to the feeling that we feel. And it's, it's something that in times of sadness, uh, in times of joy, in times of encouragement or discouragement, uh, Psalms give us words that we can bring to, to God. Uh, and we're, we're going to be doing this for the next couple of weeks. Uh, We've recorded uh, some meditations that you can use uh, these psalms with. Uh, we're going to be posting them online. So uh, if you go to, to uh, where you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find, um, you could download uh, an ambassador uh, reflection on, on the psalms. There's also going to be on the website if you do ambassadorschurch.com slash podcast. Uh, we'll have, uh, starting on the 5th on Tuesday, We'll have uh, some podcasts uploaded of uh, meditations and reflections that you can do on the Psalms that we'll talk about. Um, these, these can be uh, just a powerful way that we reflect on God, we ask God questions, um, but we find uh, and are given words that we can bring to God to, to ask him as, as we wrestle with uh, uh, what we experience in life. Uh, music and poetry help us find words uh, for this. There's a, a song that I really like. Um, it's by U2. It's called uh, Where the Streets Have No Name. Uh, really popular song. Maybe, maybe you've heard of this. But the, the song uh, was written because in, in Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland, they say that uh, you can tell someone's religion and income based on the street that they live on. Uh, it's a city that's very divided between Catholics and Protestants, and so the, the idea is, uh, based on where you live, we can tell, are you upper, upper class, middle class, working class, and are you Catholic or Protestant? And so you 2 writes this song where the streets have no name, envisioning a place where uh, there's, there's unity among people, where there, there isn't this division, where there isn't... Um, this camp and that camp, but where people are together and where it doesn't really matter what street that you live on, uh, everyone can be together. And there's meaning in the words, uh, but even as you listen to the music, it's a song that kind of starts a little bit slow and it builds and it builds. And uh, you, when I listen to it, I feel it uh, in my heart. Um, I feel it building and it, it gets louder and you get swept up in, in the melody of it. And it's something to me when I listen to it, it's a powerful song to, to hear. The thing is, as I listen to it and listen to it over and over, eventually uh, the second time I hear it, the feeling is a little bit less. And the third time I hear it, it's a little bit less. And it gets to the point where eventually I just, I hear the, the words and I kind of lose the the meaning and the significance of the words that are in it. The, I lose the, the feeling that uh, the music gives me as I hear it. I forget about the idea of where streets have no name, where we're no longer divided among people by, by class and, and ideas, but something where, where it's just, it just becomes, oh yeah, I've, I've heard this before, I know how this goes, and there's almost a, a point where I feel like I kind of need to take a break from that song. Like I, I need to, and when I come back to it, you know, I can enjoy it again. 
And I, I think that this is a little bit about this descriptive of the relationship that we can have with God where there can be times where we feel so much excitement and enjoyment, we can feel overpowered by a religious experience and eventually it can fade, that we can lose the, the experience that we have during it. Kind of the emotion wanes. And over time, we just start thinking, uh, I'm doing this again, but it just, it just kind of feels dry. I, I kind of forget why I'm doing this. I don't feel meaning in it. I don't feel moved by what I'm doing. It just sort of feels like something I'm doing out of habit. And this is part of what the Christian experience can be like. When we look at a psalm, the psalm that we're going to talk about today that Jessica read, Psalm 42, we see a description of this experience. A description of where I don't feel close to God like I used to. I don't feel moved in my heart the same way that I did in the past. Things feel dry. Things just feel plain and bland. I don't feel moved. And because I don't feel moved and I know how I used to feel, now I start to feel confused. God feels distant. It doesn't feel the way it used to feel. And so where is God and what is God doing in my heart? And I start to question and wonder and doubt. And I start thinking, is, is my faith a disappointment? or as God. Psalm 42 talks about this. Psalm 42, uh, it was, if you look in your Bibles, it's written by the sons of Korah. Korah was uh, the worship leader uh, at the temple during the time of David and Solomon. And his descendants uh, are, are attributed with writing or gathering this psalm. It's a psalm that people speculate is, is written uh, by David describing his experience either early in his life when he's fleeing from Saul, trying to escape the, the dangers that Saul brings, or later in his life when he's fleeing from his son Absalom who, who uh, uh, brought a coup to the kingdom. In either place, it's a dark place for David where he's separated from the place that he worships at in Jerusalem. And so this psalm talks about his experience in the present of suffering and loss. It describes his, his reflections on the past that he knows where he found joy in his faith. It also describes his anticipation for the future where he clings to hope. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the present, the past, and the future. And so we're going to start by looking at the present. If you want to open your Bibles, we'll also have the, the passage up here. This is in Psalm 42. As Jessica read in verse, in verse 1, it starts, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He describes his, his thirst for God like he doesn't have water. He's parched and he, he, has, he feels the need. He knows that he needs God and there's the, a clear understanding of his desire for God. But he says, when can I go and meet with God? There's something that's separating me from God. That God is not meeting the need. I'm aware acutely of the need that I have for God, but he seems far away and he's not meeting the need that I have. 
as this passage continues, um, the, the psalmist writes in, a lot of times in, in terms of water in this passage. And notice in verse 3, as he continues, he says, My tears have been my food day, day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, where is your God? Instead of finding water to quench his thirst, the only feeling he has are his own tears, his own pain and loss. Thinking, where is God? Why is God far from me? And even people around me are saying, where is your God? What does this say about my God that, that I need him and he's far from me? He weeps. He knows the longing he has for God. He knows the need that he has for God, but God seems far away. And there isn't just, there isn't just plainness, a dryness, but there's a loss and a suffering to what he experiences. He describes this even more, continuing the, the use of water in verse 7. He says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. This isn't a feeling of God being overwhelming in his love and grace towards him. He's describing this as saying, your waterfalls are, are crashing over me. It's as though there's God pounding and feeling the crushing of, of God's distance. And where is God? I feel crushed by the circumstances that are around me. I feel overwhelmed by what, what I'm going through. God is not close to me. I need him, but he's far, and the only water that I'm, I'm searching for to quench my thirst, instead, it crushes me. There's, there's a suffering to what he experiences, and so he asks, where is God? Why is he far? And why does it even seem like he's piling on to my pain? And this can be a question that we ask as Christians. I, I have experienced this feeling. I think that there's many of us that have experienced this in this room. This is a feeling where you think, I don't know where God is. I don't know what God is doing in my life. We ask questions about God and we wonder, but it seems like there's no answer. Maybe somebody asks you the question, what is God doing? What, how is he at work in your life? And you think, the only answer that I can give that's honest is, I have no idea. I don't know where he is. I don't experience him right now. The psalmist is writing like this, and we wonder, where is God and why don't I feel him? Why does he seem so far away when I need him? I, I get that I need him. I feel it in my heart, but he's not there. This is a different experience than, than sin. This is not an issue where, where we, we feel like we have sinned and we feel a distance from God. This is a feeling where, where we feel like everything we have done has been the same. We are continuing the same spiritual disciplines, the same way that we've engaged with our faith, and yet for some reason... No reason attributed to, to our own actions. God just seems far away. This is something that, that has been called the dark night of the soul. 
Uh, a 16th century monk, uh, St. John of the Cross, he writes about this, and he says that this is actually a normal part of the Christian development, that this is ha- a part of our maturing in our faith, is to go through this dark night. And there are time, multiple times that we go through this in our Christian life. And so this is not something that, this is not something that is sin. This is something that is normal. This is something that we will go through. And many of you might find yourself here in this place today. Maybe you've gone through this before. But if this seems, if things, if this seems confusing or you're not understanding what I'm talking about, know that this day will come. And so this is something to anticipate. So when we ask the question, why is this happening? What is God doing? It, this, this, can get, this reflection can give us a little bit of insight. When we come to faith in Christ, the way that we used to live was based on our finding our own fulfillment. The things that we loved were things that brought us pleasure. These can be good things, these can be bad things. Maybe, maybe you enjoy the experience of being outdoors, being out in nature, and breathing fresh air being on a mountaintop and seeing a valley below you can bring pleasure. And there's something about that that people can love being outdoors. It brings a pleasure. And so they, desire, they like going camping and hiking. There's other things that can bring us pleasure that aren't healthy. Things like maybe the, the uh, confidence or freedom that excessive drinking can bring us. But the, way, the things that we love and the things that we long for typically are the things that bring us pleasure. And when we, become, when we become followers of Christ, I think God graciously uses pleasure early in our faith to draw us, to draw our affections towards him. And so we turn to spiritual disciplines, we pray, we read our Bible, we, we are a part of the church in a lot of ways early in our faith because of the pleasure that it brings. It's pleasant, I enjoy it, I'm learning and it's exciting and there's things that I'm discovering about myself and things that I'm discovering about God and there's enjoyment because of that. I find pleasure and many times we mistake that pleasure for God's presence. Many times we think that that pleasure means that God is close to me. John Coe, uh, a professor at Biola of spiritual formation, he describes it like this. He says, God provides spiritual infants with pleasure regarding spiritual things in accordance with their pre-converted appetite for pleasure in finite objects. This intimacy is felt as relational intimacy. It says early in the Christian life, we feel pleasure in God the same way we felt pleasure in other things. And this is something God has given us as a gracious gift to draw us in our hearts towards him, to redirect our hearts from the things that we used to delight in to the things that, to now God who we can delight in. And many times because we experience this kind of pleasure, we can think that we are now relationally close with God. And so it becomes confusing then when we no longer feel that pleasure that we once felt. But instead, what's happening here is God is now weaning us off of the need for having pleasure. 
And so when we go through this dark night, we're now being invited into a maturing process where now our love for God isn't just because of the pleasure it brings, but something deeper than that. This dark night is, is a common experience. It's not something that's wrong. It's not bad to be in this place, but it's a sign that God is at work in your heart. It's something that is harder and even more confusing, though, when we can look to the past and we can think, I used to feel like this. God used to make me feel this way, and I don't anymore. And so we can long to return to the days of the past. As the psalmist in, verse, in chapter 42 reflects on his past, he says in verse, four, in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He thinks, I remember the old days when I used to be able to go before the tabernacle and I used to worship. There was joy. It was festive. I was with other people. It was a powerful and meaningful experience to worship God this way. I miss that. I miss that experience. I don't have that anymore. He continues in verse 6. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. This, this description of where he's, he's describing himself geographically is far from Jerusalem. He's saying in this place, he's remembering God, but he's in a land that's distant. He's not near the, the center of worship anymore. He's far from Jerusalem. He doesn't have that closeness. He can't participate in, in that festive throng that he described before. He says, now, I used to have that. I used to be a part of this community, worshiping God together, and we could celebrate in the goodness of God. But I'm not there anymore. I'm somewhere else, I'm far away, and I don't get to experience God. And it seems like this place that I have, it's even more painful because I know the heights of what I used to experience. In, in our dark night, we remember the feelings of intimacy that we once had. We can remember what it used to feel like to feel close to God. We can remember those times when, when we read scripture and it felt like scripture was coming alive to us and we could feel and experience the truth that God had and we knew what it felt like to be loved by God. And we could sing songs of praise worshiping God and we could feel it deep in us. Maybe we had a meaningful relationship with someone who mentored us. Places where we felt God intervening in our lives and experiencing his grace and those memories are good and those things are great, but when we look at them, we think, that's, that's not where I am anymore. What's, what's wrong with me and why am I not in that place anymore? How do I get back to that place? What this makes me think of a little bit are, um, not, that, not that it's you, but other people, when, you know, when they first start dating, um, 
you know, and there's that initial excitement when you see two people that, are, that start dating and uh, they're excited to be together, everything is new, they want to stay up late and have conversations with each other, they want to find out everything about each other, they want to, you know, they're always making out and, you know, there's just so much excitement about it and they're giving each other, like, they call each other schmoopy-poo and, like, little nicknames and stuff and there's so much excitement about this new relationship and they enjoy it. And they think about what's the future going to be like, and I can't believe I haven't met this person until now, and my life is fantastic, and it can be consuming uh, this new relationship, and there's an excitement to it. But then the first fight comes, you know, and then it's like, what is going on right now, and how am I dating this person? I'm dating the devil, and like, what's wrong with this person? How could they do something like that and be this messed up? I thought that I was dating this perfect person who was perfect. And you can have all of this, this uh, disappointment and these expectations that are no longer met when you start to see uh, what the reality of this relationship is look, looks like. And there can be a disappointment that I thought that things were always going to look like this. I thought that it would always be this exciting and that this is what it felt like to be loved and in love. And over time, when that fades, uh, when reality comes and those, those fights start happening, there is a lot of disappointment and a lot of I'm disoriented. What's happening right now? Who, who is this person that I'm with? And in, in some ways, this can parallel our relationship with God where we enter into a relationship, we're excited with him. He's, he's teaching us things. We feel loved. We feel forgiven. We feel all of these things that we haven't felt before in a deeper way. And then when something like this happens where we now feel distant from him, it's, it's disorienting, and we think, how, how do I get back to the place that I used to be? How do I make my faith feel like it did before? How do I recapture that, that fire, that passion, that, that excitement? How do I gather that, that feeling of I feel loved and I feel accepted? How do I go back to that place? How do I go back to the place where I now feel like I'm learning and growing and my faith is dynamic? What, what do I have to do? And so we can respond in different ways and maybe we decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double my efforts. I'm going to read scripture twice as long as I used to read it. I'm going to pray even longer. I'm going to start fasting now. I'm going to start doing all these things and maybe one of those things will get me fired up and worked up enough that I can start feeling the way that I used to feel. We can also go to the other extreme where thinking, what, what's the point? This is, faith is, is ultimately disappointing. And we can kind of throw our hands up and say, this is, this is the reality of what, what it means to follow God. It's, it's bland. It's underwhelming. God's not there when I need him to be there. And so we can have these choices of how do I ultimately respond to this? And it's important for us to say the way forward is not to try to recapture what was in the past. But instead to say our relationship is maturing to a place where it's now 
becoming less and less dependent upon the pleasure that our faith brings us. Maturity means that we can love God and enjoy and we can have a relationship with him and that relationship can persevere through a lack of pleasure. That our relationship can still survive even if it doesn't feel good. That I can love God because I love God, not because I love pleasure. So we don't need to try to fix ourselves but it's also important that we don't give up. Our faith once brought us pleasure. We no longer feel that. But we don't need to go back to how it was before. The past can remind us of what we were missing in the present. But we also need to fix our eyes on the future. In verse, in verse 5, we see the psalmist write about the future. He repeats this, this same verse uh, also in verse 11. He says, my, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It brings me comfort that he starts this verse, and when he repeats it twice, he states his, his experience. He doesn't minimize what he's going through. He states that he's downcast, that he's disturbed, that this is actually what he's going through and this is his reality, that his faith and where his heart is is in a dark place. He doesn't give some kind of religious talk of, of minimizing anything that he's going through, but he says, this is my actual reality, is that I'm downcast, that I'm disturbed in where I am. But then he continues and he says, but put your hope in God. Talking to himself, he says, I need to put my hope in, in God and I'm going to continue to praise him because he's my God and he's my savior. He reminds himself who God is and he describes him with, with a possessive pronoun. He is my God. He is my savior. He's in a dark place and he says, I just, I need to remind myself of what's true and what, what reality is. And he does this without diminishing what he's going through, but he says, there's, there's actually a tension here that, that I do feel downcast and this is what my experience, that I feel far from God. But he says, but I also remember that I'm gonna hope in God because he's ultimately my God. I, he is a God of character who is faithful, and he's also a God who is my savior and one, the one that will deliver me. Um, this, a quote that has stuck with me through the seasons that I've gone through this um, uh, has been, don't doubt in the darkness what you know to be true in the light. It says, don't doubt in the darkness what you know to be true in the light. In, in the light, we have confidence in the clarity uh, and um, our accuracy in how we perceive God. 
In those times that, that we have confidence in who God is, those times where I know what God is like, I have a level head and I see clearly, and I know that God is faithful, that he's with me, that he's my savior. I have these ideas that I can trust and hold firmly to, uh, about God, and I perceive him accurately. And the times where I enter into darkness, those times where my grief overwhelms me, those times where I no longer see clearly and it starts to cloud my, my judgment, it starts to mess with and distort how I see God and I start thinking, maybe God isn't those ways, then it's really easy to start questioning God's character. It becomes really easy to start saying, I don't, I don't know that God was like that. Maybe those past experiences, maybe those were just coincidences. Maybe God really isn't that faithful. And when we start seeing, being overwhelmed by our grief, we start to question and doubt things that we know in other times aren't true. And in those times, those are the times that it's hardest, but the most important to hold firmly to, to what we know is true about God. We know when in times where we have a level head and a clear vision that God is good and faithful. And so that's what we need, to, we need to hold firmly to. We need to remind ourselves of what we actually know God is like. Later on in Psalm, we, we see a Psalm that I think is written in, in a time of somebody who's gone through this process. This is from, from Psalm 139. In verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand Will hold me fast. He writes that where is it that I can actually escape from God? Where is it that I can find distance and, and be disconnected from God? And he says, nowhere. He says, with confidence, God is always there with me. It doesn't matter if I go to the heights or the depths, God is still there. This is something somebody says when they've gone through this darkness. This is something that we can say when we've been weaned off the need for pleasure. Something that we can say when we have full confidence and we can hold firmly to what we know is true about God in the light, that God doesn't leave us, that God is still there, and that actually God is at work in our hearts doing deep and meaningful things, maturing our faith, and he has us there for purpose. Maybe it's that we're in this place because God has said, you are ready to mature. You, you don't need to have pleasure anymore. We can wean you off of this. You're ready to mature in your faith. And it's a dark place, but that doesn't mean that God is far. And so we hold to the promises of Psalm 139 that God is nowhere uh, apart from us that God is always there with us. 
There are seasons where our faith brings us joy and pleasure, and it is great to enjoy those times. It is great to, to look at our faith and enjoy those experiences where it's, it's delightful and it's a pleasure to do things for God and to experience him, to, to do spiritual disciplines and have encounters with him. Those are, those are times to enjoy. But there is going to come a time where we start to, to feel an absence of that joy then we have to prepare ourselves for it and anticipate that, that moment coming. It's something we can, we can interpret that absence of joy as evidence that God is far from us. But this dark night is something that God is not far from us, but he's actually near us doing deep work. That he says, we can, we can be close to each other, I can love you, and we can be near even if it doesn't feel good. That it doesn't mean God is left. But we can come back to Psalm 139 and say, where is it that I can actually go from God? He's always there with me. And that's a faith that comes out of, of persevering through this darkness. But I, I invite you to remember that hold fast to what you know is true about God. In those times in the light where you see God clearly and you know who he is and you have confidence in who he is, hold fast to that.